This podcast is a presentation of Faith Assembly of God, where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Get more information online at faithishere.org to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 11 a.m. Thank you for making this podcast a part of your week. Serve an amazing God. The Bible says in Hebrews, He speaks to us in various sundry ways, and God is still speaking today. He wants to speak to our hearts this morning. Amen. But he came hungry for the word today. Take your Bibles out. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We welcome all those who are watching by way of video in the video venue in the back. Great to have you with us as well today. We are in the process of training and equipping believers to do the work of the ministry. One of the things that God has called Faith Assembly of God to do is to be an equipping agency. We're here to equip you to do God's work. And probably no greater place that we can go in the Word of God to find that equipment is to the letters of Timothy, to to Timothy from the Apostle Paul. Timothy was Paul's beloved son in the faith. And he's telling this shy, timid guy how to pastor the church at Ephesus. What a daunting task. And so this advice is so good for Timothy. But I want to tell you, every single one of us are called to ministry. We're all involved in ministry. It's not just me. It's not just the pastoral staff. It is every single one of us. So whatever Paul writes Timothy, his beloved son in the faith, is really good for all of us. Last week, we looked at chapter 3. We looked at the end of the chapter, and we talked about the church. And he talked about how the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. The church is the defender of the truth. The church lifts up the truth, uh, puts it on a pillar for all the world to see. And we look at how valuable that was. Well, the problem was that there were some in Ephesus who were already going astray. They were hearing the truth, but they were following false teachers. Uh, Let me tell you something. False teachers are alive and well today. It wasn't just a problem in Timothy's day. It is a problem in our day to day. Now, this morning is going to be a little bit more intense. I'm going to teach you this morning. We're going to look at a lot of scripture. And I want you to learn how to distinguish what is false from what is true. And we're going to look at how to avoid and how to stay away from that spiritual poison that is out there. Listen, we want to tell ourselves we're immune. uh, But the cults, the greatest harvest field for the cults are in mainline churches. You can go across the cult today and find out, oh, I was in this church or that church or this church, uh, but they were looking for something else. There are demonic lies out there. There are demonic forces at work. And this morning, I want to unmask that for you, if that's okay. Let's stand together as we look at God's word. 1 Timothy chapter 4, as we equip ourselves to be prepared against false teachers. Do not be deceived. Verse 1, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, And nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Father, help us today. Help us today in our hearts and minds, spirits, to be able to discern truth. Truth of your word. 
God, this church is called to be a truth station. May we let your people know. May we open up our hearts to everything you have for us today from your holy word. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you are going to do. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you guys. The false teachers had come right into Ephesus. They had worked their way right into the church, and they were confiscating the pulpit, if you will, because the church became the forum where ideas were being exchanged, and there were false teachers who were expounding their false doctrines and false teachings. Now, let me tell you, false teachers come into the church today. They may not ever get this pulpit, but they'll come right into your homes. They'll come into your homes by way of your television sets. They'll come into your car by way of your radio. They will come into your houses by way of magazine and books. Uh, Let me tell you, the false teachers, they are out there. They are plentiful. They are all around us. Let me give you the barometer. Everything we hear and see should always be filtered through God's word. Before we let it into our hearts and let it into our minds. Don't be so naive to think I can just soak up whatever is out there in culture uh, and enjoy a whole range of an exchange of ideas uh, and somehow it will not affect me. Uh, This is how the enemy wants to come in and work. Uh, And if the word of God becomes that filter, uh, it will keep you from allowing that garbage to come into your spirit and your heart. Now, the question for us today is, how can men and women in Paul's day And in our day today, who have heard the word of God, who have heard the truth, be so easily led astray. Let me give you three warnings today, three warning signs and signals and prepare your hearts and prepare yourselves and to tell you why this can even happen in the first place. First of all, their teachings are driven by the demonic. They are demonically inspired. Behind false teachers, Paul, as he writes, Timothy says there is demonic activity. You see, Satan is not only a tempter trying to entice you into sin, but he is a deceiver trying to lead you into error. He is behind every false teacher that is out there. And and you've got, as you look at it, why would otherwise rational, intelligent, smart human beings ever follow some false, crazy, lunatic speculation of the cults. As you look at some of their doctrines, it's absolutely fruity. It's nutty. There's some nutty stuff out there. And you've got to wonder why any rational person would ever follow and swallow those kind of lies by the, the, by the millions. Marshall Applegate, I don't know if you remember that name or not, but he led a, go, a, a cult called Heaven's Gate. And in 1997, Applegate and 38 other members of the cult committed suicide. You know why they killed themselves? They believed that they were going to be members of the next level above human. So if they took their own life, a UFO, which was hiding behind the planet Hellbop, or behind the comet Hellbop, would then retrieve their bodies and Take them away. Now, is that nutty or what? 
Why would 38 high school, many of them college-educated people, believe they're going to catch a ride on the Hellbop Comet or UFO, whatever, and then take their own life? Now, that boggles the imagination. We can't explain it in the natural, only to say there was a demonic deception behind it. It is not natural. It is not logical. It is demon-inspired. That's what Paul writes Timothy. He says their teachings of demons cause them deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. You see, we live in an age where people are so hungry for that which is spiritual That often in their thirst for that which is spiritual, they'll be led astray into that which is nutty and crazy and different. And it's no different than what people were looking for in Ephesus at this time or in Corinth or in Laodicea or Jerusalem. They were dying for something to believe in. And as a result, they become gullible to receive anything that comes down the pike. People today are more interested in spirituality maybe than any other time in America. You look, the number three genre of what sells in the bookstores today, the number three is spirituality. That's what they sell more books of than anything else except maybe a couple other categories. They're into yoga, transcendental meditation, psychic phenomena, psychic hotlines, drug abuse. A whole segment of our nation follows Oprah Winfrey as their spiritual guide. Because our generation is starving for meaning and purpose. And so they listen to almost any demonic lie that is out there. Now, a a couple of things, and and that should be in your outline. First of all, people are looking for something more. They realize this life has left them coming up empty. And they're lonely, and there's a longing in their heart, uh, and they're looking for something more. Now, let me tell you, that something more they are looking for was created in the heart of every single human being. It was placed in there by God. In fact, it says in Ecclesiastics 3.11, God has set eternity in our hearts. Do you know that? God has set eternity in our hearts. It's, it's been placed there by him, that longing for something more, something more than this life, something more that is out there. And it's the reason so many people are seeking a deeper spirituality uh, because so often what they found in their churches uh, is a dead ritual. In fact, they will even lay aside something they know to be true for something that promises more. Stay with me here. But here's the answer. That something more can only be found in the life-giving, life-changing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the something more we were created to find and discover and know. Colossians 1 and 6 says, Jesus. Jesus said all things were created by him and for him. Another reason people are so easily led astray is because some people are looking for an answer and they want the immediate answer now. And so they are more giving into their feeling and experiences uh, than they are to the objective truth of God's word. 
I want something that's going to make me feel good right now. I want something that's going to ease the pain right now. If I'm sick, I want to get well now. If I'm in financial trouble, I want to get out of it now. If my children are going through a rough time, I want them to come home now. If my marriage is in trouble and falling apart, I, I want it fixed now. And so we want answers and solutions and happiness, and we want it right now. And so the cults come along and say, we can make you happy now. We can make you feel good about yourself now. You will be self-actualized now. We'll heal your marriage, your family, and everything else right now. Listen to James chapter 1. James 1 and verse number 2. My brother, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the taste, testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. See, the the cultural religious gurus of our day, they come proclaiming escape from trouble, escape from trials, a problem-free life. Jesus Christ, yes, he is our answer for joy and peace, but he also says, you know what? There's going to be some storms that are going to come your way. Uh, You're going to go through some rocky times and challenges along the way. Uh, They are called trials to your faith. Uh, But you know what? With Jesus Christ, I can trust him in the middle of my trial, knowing that God ultimately works all things out together for my good. And that's the difference between the cults, the pseudo-religions of our day, and a genuine Christian experience with God. Ephesians 6.12 tells us who our wrestling matches with. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, or, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. There is a spiritual battle going on. There is a spiritual warfare going on. And if you underestimate the power of your enemy, it is to invite capture to your souls. Going on. Now, the good news for us today is Christ has already secured our victory. He's already won the battle. He's already conquered death, hell, and the grave. But until he comes again, That guerrilla warfare continues until he takes us home. And Paul says, because of this, some will even, in verse number one, depart from the faith. Beware of those doctrines of demons. The second thing, he talks about where the source of those doctrines come from. It's demonically inspired, but they come out of the mouth of hypocritical liars. Look at verse number two. Speaking lies and hypocrisy. Speaking lies and hypocrisy. The word hypocrite comes from the Greek word for an actor. Someone who acts on stage. It literally means to give a false impression. Now, it's okay if the actor's on stage and everybody knows he is acting. uh, But when someone is an actor in real life, we call them a phony. The Bible calls them a hypocrite. And he says, these false teachers that have come into the church at Ephesus, they are hypocritical liars because they teach one thing, but they themselves live another. 
their lives don't match up with their teaching. And they're putting a lot of rules and regulations on you, uh, but they don't even keep them themselves. Now, the word hypocrisy carries the idea of a deliberate pretense. Lie means a deliberate falsehood. And so they are double liars. They are hypocritical liars. They're involved in pretense and out and out lying. A true servant of God is always marked by honesty and integrity. A true servant of God will practice what he preaches. Now, there's some reasons why people would choose to follow hypocritical liars who teach doctrines of demons. And there's four basic needs that every human being has. And when you understand these four basic needs and how they are met in Christ, it will protect you against these liars who profess in their own way to meet these very same needs. Let me give them to you. Number one, there is the need to connect with something bigger. Everybody has a basic human need to connect to something or someone bigger. The cults point to a spiritual leader or a power within nature or a power within the universe. And they point to something that is bigger that is out there. Jesus Christ points to God's great plan for humanity. And he says, I have come that they might have life and life, say it together, more abundantly. More abundantly. Yes, there is something more. There is something bigger that is out there. It is life that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. The hypocritical liars also prey on the second need, and that's the need of personal significance. Everyone, everyone here today has a need to be personally significant. In other words, that means you have a need to make your life count for something. You have a need to make your life count. The cults say, join the cult family. Follow our cult teachings. Uh, It is bigger than you, and if you will follow our cultic teachings, uh, you will reach your full potential by discovering the little God inside of you. Now, that sounds very attractive. I want to find out who that little God is inside of me. And and if I follow this cult or this teaching, I will somehow arrive at my full potential potential. God says, if you'll follow me, I'll adopt you into my family. I'll make you a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he made it possible through his death, burial, and resurrection. The cults cannot give you soul fulfillment because there's nothing provided for it. Turn, if you would, to Romans 8. Romans 8. Romans 8 and verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. When you come into God's family, you become his child, the child of the creator of the universe. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Our personal significance is found in Christ and being adopted into his family. These guys who join the church, they're saying we want to make our lives count at faith assembly of God. And so they became a part of our 
family right here and they, they joined something that was bigger than themselves. The third need. There's a need in every single person to conquer the darkness within us. To conquer the darkness within us. Whether that darkness is sexual desire, whether that darkness is anger that rages inside of you, whether that darkness is depression, that dark cloud that hangs over your head and you are depressed, whether that darkness is selfishness or bitterness or whatever else that darkness may be. Now let me tell you how the cults tell you you will conquer the darkness within they will depend they will count on isolation they will talk about medicating you or medication or endless therapy sessions to try to get rid of the darkness uh, but nothing can ever remove the guilt there is no other world religion there is no other cult that can satisfy that guilt that darkness that is within our hearts there's nothing that will set us free the darkness is very real. It is within the heart of every man. God calls that darkness sin. And sin will enslave you. It will grind on our souls until we can't stand it any longer. But the good news is Jesus Christ came. He died on the cross. His blood was shed that that darkness might be taken away. He came to set us free from all of that sin and all of that darkness. Uh, you see the cults talk about reformation. Uh, Jesus Christ did not come to reform you. He came to transform you. Uh, old things are passed away. All things become new. He radically changes you. Uh, you go through a metamorphosis. Change. Only Jesus can do that. Turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8 verse 34. I'm giving you a lot of scripture because the, 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 the best defense against being deceived is to know the real thing, to know the truth. And when you know the truth, it'll set you free. So we're going to have a lot of scripture this morning. Look at verse 34. Jesus answered then and said, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Anyone who is not in Christ Jesus is still in slavery today. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus deals with the sin problem on the inside. And it's not through an imprisoning control on the outside. And as we kind of move through this text this morning, you'll see those doctrines of demons. Uh, they were trying to control their people by telling them not to eat certain foods uh, and not to marry. They were using externals to try to do something that only Christ could do in the heart. When Jesus comes in, he cleanses us from our sins. Sets us free from sin's power to rule over us. And fills us with God's power to walk in victory. Only Jesus can meet that need. And the fourth need that everybody has is the longing for something better. And so in the cults, they will talk about reincarnation. That somehow you might come back as a better animal. Ultimately, a cow. When you, when you, how many want to be cows in here today? And if you're reincarnated often enough, you might achieve nirvana or some kind of nothingness that is out there. That sounds real romantic. 
and self-actualization and all these kinds of things that cults promise. Let me tell you what that something better is. It is called everlasting life. Everlasting life. And that everlasting life begins spiritually the moment you say, Jesus, come into my heart and life. It doesn't start when you die. It starts the moment you say, God, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And so I have that everlasting life in me right now, which means I shall never die. This physical body may fall asleep, but my spirit immediately goes into the presence of the Lord. Uh, That, my friends, is called everlasting life. People entering these cults are entering into a life of death and deception. They are following doctrines of demons, and they have very real spiritual needs. But to meet those needs, they are following and believing a lie. I am so thankful for the infallible truth of God's word. Turn to 2 Thessalonians. What Paul said would happen when he wrote the Thessalonian church. Again, we wonder, how can anybody, when you look at the gospel, and then you look at what's out there in cults or false teachings or false doctrines, how can anybody believe these things? Let me remind you, it is going to proliferate in the last days in greater ways than ever before. Paul said it would happen at the time or around the time of the coming of the man of lawlessness, the man of sin, the Antichrist. Look at what he says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 to 12. The coming of the lawless one is in according to the working of, of Satan with all power, signs, lying wonders. Some people say, well, you know, if it's false, how come there's so much power in satanic or or witchcraft or whatever? How do they have this kind of power? Because there's demonic power and activity behind it. And that power is very real. Jesus said it would happen. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth. Listen, don't sit here week after week and walk out that door and refuse the truth of Jesus Christ. You are putting yourself on very dangerous ground that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. They all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, who had pleasure in unrighteousness. God has created every single person in here to be explorers. And we're all searching for truth. We're on an exploration and we are searching for truth. Our search will end when we find the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. And he is the only one that can fulfill those four basic needs I just share with you. Amen? How many have found him, found that truth? Isn't it a glorious life? So exciting. So exciting. The real thing. And third... He said, first of all, they're inspired by the demonic. They are propagated by hypocritical liars who themselves have been hardened by sin. Look at verse 2 again. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Not only do they have a deception problem in the mind, there is a moral problem in their hearts. Their conscience has been seared with a hot iron. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this conscience. It's a neat thing when it's working right. It can really be an awesome thing. In fact, the conscience is left over from creation. 
It's one of the things that is still within mankind, even after the fall of man. And it's that thing that, that's in us, that God placed within every human being, that is that moral compass that helps us to distinguish right from wrong. Okay, very simple definition. It's that moral compass that helps us to distinguish right from wrong. Now, here's the problem. In a fallen world in which we live because of sin, our conscience is not perfect. Our conscience has also been messed up to some extent by the fall. And so often with our conscience, we can go in one or two extremes if we are not careful. Our conscience can become overly sensitive. Paul writes about the weak, weaker vessel whose conscience is easily offended by what another brother does. That's an overly sensitive to conscience. It's, it, it's a guy who thinks things are wrong when there absolutely is nothing wrong with those things at all, like eating certain foods. That's an overly sensitive conscience. Talks about a strong conscience. Weak, I don't have time. I wish I could show you all that. It's there. Then there is also the opposite extreme. Paul talks about a seared conscience. The word seared is the same word we get our English word from to cauterize in the Greek language. It's to take a brand and put it on a cow and put a brand on that cow, a, a very hard place on his hide. It's to take your steak and you put it on the grill and you sear that steak until it's just a little bit hard on the outside and ready for you. If you ignore your conscience long enough, it loses its sensitivity. Now stay with me here. This is, this is important. If you ignore your conscience long enough, if you don't listen to the moral compass of right and wrong dictated by the word of God, it will begin to lose its sensitivity and it will become like a scar that is branded by a hot iron. So what happens is your moral compass no longer functions. Your sense of right and wrong is deadened. What a seared conscience is all about. Little girl in... uh, London held up her broken wrist. She said, look, mommy, my hand is bent in the wrong way. There were no tears. There was no pain whatsoever. The little girl was four years old. When she was six, her parents noticed her walking with a limp. The doctor discovered she had fractured her thigh. Still, there was no pain whatsoever. Now the girl is age 14, and she has to very carefully look at her body all the time to see if there are any blisters or burns or cuts. And and you might wonder how in the world this could happen. There is a medical term for it, and I'm going to try to say it. It's gangliopathy. Gangliopathy. And it means the person is insensitive to pain. It is a very, very rare disease. They feel no pain whatsoever. Let me tell you, the greater danger than ganglia, whatever, uropathy. I knew I'd mess it up. The greater danger than that disease is to be insensitive to sin. Because ganglia uropathy, I had to say it one more time to get it right. It still may be wrong. It may destroy your body. But when your conscience has been seared, it will destroy your soul. In order for your conscience to operate as God intended in it, we have to allow our conscience 
to be informed and and educated by the infallible word of God. When that happens, our conscience can then function properly. But let me tell you, whenever we affirm with our lips something we deny with our actions or, or our lives, we deaden our conscience just a little bit more. You leave this place today, you choose to go out and get smashed over the weekend, your conscience gets a little bit harder. And you can come and you can go through the motions next Sunday, but all the time, your moral compass is getting all messed up. You leave this church today, you out sleep, sleep with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, teenagers, single adults, you sleep with them over the weekend. What are you doing? You're searing your conscience. Because you have come and you affirm with our lips, God, you are holy, and we sing about how holy God is, and then we go out and do our own thing. And so to live with ourselves, we've got to harden our conscience just a little bit more, and we crank it down a notch, and pretty soon it's no longer working. There was an Illinois scientist by the name of William Walsh who studied strands of hair and could pick up, learn a whole lot from the human body just by looking at one strand of hair. And so he went back, and I don't know where they got this stuff at, but the body of the famous classical composer Beethoven, they looked at hair samples. And they discovered that Beethoven's body had 100 times the normal amount of lead that the human body should have. And he concluded that Beethoven's untimely death at age 57 was due to lead poisoning. What happened was Beethoven, in order to relax, would go to a mineral spa. And he would sit in that mineral spa every single day in order to relax. The very thing that he thought was bringing relief and relaxation was slowly poisoning him to death. Spiritual poison occurs when you embrace practices and ideas that you think are making you maybe more spiritual, but in fact are gradually killing you. And Paul says, beware of spiritual poison. Ephesus, look out for doctrines of demons. Uh, They are propagated uh, by hypocritical liars uh, whose conscience has been seared with a hot iron. Don't buy into their lies. I want to warn you, church, uh, there's a lot of nonsense out there. It's on your television. Some of it may seem very, very spiritual. What was the specific doctrine that these guys, these doctrines of demons, he names two of them right here. They may have been more, but Paul really zeroes in on two. And he says they were teaching celibacy as being the more spiritual way of life. And they were teaching you could only eat certain foods. And if you ate certain foods, that would make you spiritual. Now, on the surface, you listen to that. You're thinking, you know, Pastor, that doesn't sound too bad. How's what I eat a doctrine of a demon? I mean, I thought you'd talk about cannibalism or something. You know, something really, really bad or murder or just, you know. What, What is it with just eating foods? Why is that a doctrine of demon? Why is celibacy a doctrine of demon? Well, let me kind of break it down for you. Let's look a little bit closer because these things still resurface today. Throughout history, religious people have had a love-hate relationship with sexuality. 
they don't know how to handle it. They don't. They they they, they go to extremes. It was especially true in Paul's day in Ephesus. They had the Greek goddess Aphrodite. Aphrodite had a temple there, and at the temple of Aphrodite, they employed 100 temple prostitutes. And so they worshiped their gods, the Greek gods, by having sex in the name of their religion. The other extreme was that sexuality is somehow inherently evil. And so a Greek philosopher by the name of Plato said, everything that's in the physical world is evil. Everything that's in the spiritual world is good. And so the only way we can move into the spiritual realm is to deny our physical body any kind of pleasure whatsoever. That later came to be known as Gnosticism. That whole teaching uh, that physical matter is evil and spiritual is good. Therefore, if I'm going to be a spiritual being, I better not eat certain foods and I better not have sex. Now, this creeping crept into the church, and now we see Timothy has to deal with it at Ephesus. And the Christian leaders of his day and in generations following started idolizing the single celibate lifestyle as being more spiritual than married lifestyle. And it's still the case today in Catholicism. You're more spiritual if you're a Catholic priest. You can't even be a priest unless you're single. And so you even see that doctrine has crept into the Catholic Church, and now their spiritual leaders of their church can never marry. Paul calls it a doctrine of demons. One theologian said this, the Holy Spirit departs the bedroom when the husband and wife consummate their marriage. What a tragedy. God says it's a gift. Said it's good. Very good. Are you tracking with me? And then they're forbidding certain foods. God had given the Jewish people a distinct mark of their Judaism. And he said you should eat certain foods. And in that day there were definitely health issues involved as well. And so there was a Jewish dietary law concerning what they could eat and what they could not eat. Christianity grew out of Judaism, so early Christians struggled with over whether these foods were now good or bad or whatever. Paul teaches several different times in the Word of God that no food is unclean in and of itself. So physical intimacy in marriage and food that God gives us, he says both are created by God. And he says we ought to receive these gifts with gratitude and thanksgiving. Human sexuality is a gift that God gave us to be enjoyed in the confines of marriage. And food is a gift, but he says don't overeat and don't go nuts with it. There's some boundaries there. But he says enjoy God's gift. It is sanctified when we pray. It is sanctified by the word of God. You say, how is it sanctified by the word? Let me give you the word. Genesis 1 and 31. God saw all that he made and he said, it is very good. And to ignore these things, to say I can't do these things because I want to be more spiritual, is to deny the innate goodness of God. Is God good or what? Come on, help me out here, guys. I'm, I'm preaching my heart out. 
Now, what's, you say, again, what is the heresy of all that? Why is that a doctrine demon? Now, listen to me. I want you to get this. When rules and regulations become a substitute for salvation by grace through faith, it is a doctrine of the devil himself. We are dependent on Christ and Christ alone. We are saved by grace and grace alone. Rules and regulations that get between us and Christ are contrary to the gospel, the good news, uh, that Jesus' blood, Jesus' blood alone can take my sins away, can save me, forgive me. It is grace and grace alone. And if a good God created a good creation, he uses the, in verse 4, he says, refused, should not be thrown away. When we throw away anything good in God's creation, we deny his basic goodness. Our task, we are stewards over God's creation, so we use God's good gifts wisely and well and according to God's word. Therefore, sex and food are good when used properly as stewards of God's good gifts. Comprende? Beware of false teaching that doesn't lie up with the word of God. Now, I'm going to wrap it up here. I know it's been a little long this morning, but just five more minutes. Give me five more. The best way to avoid deception, anyone in here being deceived, is to know the real thing. Know God's word. Study God's word. Equip yourself in God's word. That's why on Sunday night we have Bible classes. We train and teach the word of God. That's why on Sunday morning, this is what I'm using. This is it right here. Is this everything we have that pertains to life and godliness is right here. Know God's word. Paul commended the Bereans in Acts because he said the Bereans searched the scripture daily even to see if the apostle Paul was teaching the right thing. In John 1, 1, he says, test the spirits to see if they are from God. Let me admonish you, church, stay away from the latest fad theology that comes along. Uh, the latest guy on some Christian network on national TV that says, I've seen this thing happen and that thing happen. I've had this experience and that happen. It's happening all around. Beware of the latest fad theology that is out there. Anything that draws you away from the supremacy and lordship of Jesus Christ should be categorically rejected. Have nothing to do with that garbage. Because Paul says its source is satanic. It is propagated by hypocritical liars and their conscience. They have a moral problem as well. Their conscience has been seared with a hot iron. It will be spiritual poison to your soul. Verse number six. And I'm going to start here next week. So just look at it. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. Learn the real. Learn the real. Get your head into this book. Get your heart into this book. Now, next week, please, do not miss next week. If you've got vacation plans, change them. I want to talk to you next week about how to be spiritually fit how to be spiritually strong. This may be a, this can be a very practical message because he talks about 
bodily exercise and godly exercise? How are we going to become spiritually strong and fit for this Christian walk God has called us to? So come back next week. We'll start right there in verse number 6. Bow your heads and close your eyes. This podcast has been a presentation of Faith Assembly, where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Thank you for listening this week.